There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's another edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert, Julian McKenzie, and Julian, we have officially entered the dead zone. The blank space between the NHL's trade deadline and the start of the playoffs where most games seem a little less important and the news dries up rather fast on us podcasters. <laughs> dead zone. I like that. Highway to the dead zone. That didn't work out as well as I thought I would have liked it to work out. No, I mean, it's not too late to start over, but I think I'm going to have to force us through this so that that uh, musical interlude lives on forever. You know what? I can live with that. There, I've, there, I've done more embarrassing things. Like, say, the Montreal Canadiens at the beginning of the year was the best Montreal Canadiens team I've seen in my life. I think that's yeah. that's worse. I mean, we're definitely going to get to that. We're also going to get to a brand new segment at the end of this podcast, Oof. which uh, we will unveil because I learned a little something about the podcasting game or radio game this week. The rich reason to return, the RTR, and I want to provide an RTR for our listeners here at the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. So we're going to do a little radio trick at the end of the program and we'll uh, hopefully carry that on all the way through but before that we got to get to the headlines or the you know the lack of headlines actually there's a decent amount to dig into a little residue from the trade deadline and a couple other things so we're not exactly scrambling yet but sooner than later we're gonna have uh, a little little less to talk about at least until the playoffs start but for now as I mentioned we we got a we got a decent amount to dig into and we're gonna begin with Taylor Hall who of course was traded to the Boston Bruins from the Buffalo Sabres, and of course, his start with the Boston Bruins has been quite good. He's got two goals in three games. More importantly, all three of those victories, uh, or all three of those games were victories for Boston, and two came over the New York Islanders, so it's not exactly like they were beating up on poor competition. He should have had an assist in there as well, but he got that taken away from him. But playing on that line with David Krejci and Craig Smith, Boston Bruins look like they got something cooking. Uh, what's your um, immediate review of Taylor Hall's start in Boston? Is anyone surprised that Taylor Hall found success on a really good, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say really good, but a good Boston Bruins team. They've been one of the better franchises for the better part of, of a decade plus. Like, I don't know. I just, just This is just my view here, but I'm still stunned at how so many people looked at Taylor Hall and I understand there's the salary cap constrictions that are around, but so many people were willing to be like, man, I would not touch that guy with a 10 foot pole or whatever. This is a guy who, if you put him on a wing and maybe you don't necessarily make him your focal point, if he's your second line winger putting in goals. That's a pretty good spot to put him in. And yes, we're, we're looking over a, a small sample size of three games, but doesn't surprise me at all that Taylor Hall has seen some success on, a, again, a good Boston Bruins team. I, I've said it on this podcast before, uh, players who go from crappy situations to better ones, they they know how to, they should be able to elevate their game. It just being around better players just 
you want to be as good as those players. So I think Taylor Hall, I'm not surprised that he's found some early success, not to mention the fact that you mentioned off top here, the fact that they beat the New York Islanders, a team that will more than likely make the playoffs could do some damage as well. Remains to be seen how much of their facial hair we'll see in the playoffs, but we'll leave that for another day. The New York Islanders are a good team. So they didn't be any scrubs in those games. And Taylor Hall was a key contributor in some of those games. So I think, uh, Taylor Hall, the fact that he's in Boston, he's doing well for himself, at least to start. I'm not surprised. It's a pretty good, uh, it's a good start for him. Yeah, it's a great start. Uh, and you mentioned it being unsurprising. Yeah, it's completely unsurprising. In fact, it's very predictable. Why? Because Boston, you know, is a good organization. Things mm-hmm. work out from them. And things just tend to blow up in the face of the Buffalo Sabres, a poorly run organization. Already, Taylor, Matt, Taylor Hall has matched his goal total from his time with Buffalo, you know, more than half a season, got nine shots in those two games. Of course, he's rehabbing those shooting percentage numbers at a reasonable rate. It's not like he's everything he's touching is going in right now. It's just exactly what you expect when a good player is shooting at 2.8%. But I think the more important, you know, underlying numbers, or at least the, the data we're getting from his start is that line has been tremendous. And that's been I don't want to say a problem for Boston, but it hasn't exactly been a strength. That second line, it seems like David Krejci has been sort of on an island for a long time, but they've always seemed to try and be in this position or they seem to be in this position always where they're trying to get someone to play in there and be a, a dominant factor for them. That's maybe one of the reasons why this is a team that hasn't won the Stanley Cup despite being a lead and being very close on multiple occasions because that second line isn't as impactful, certainly, as the first line, but not even close, like not, not even not on that support level there that it needs to be. But they have 71% expected goals in 29 minutes going coming in, a couple actual goals, which is more important, and none against. <laughs> um, it's, exa- it's exactly what they needed, it seems, is that impact player from that secondary role. And I think for Taylor Hall, the hot start is very important just for him. Like Obviously, the, the production is great for the, for the Bruins. This is a player we talked about, his confidence level being shot. And if it didn't come immediately in Boston, maybe he's thinking, well, maybe it's not going to work anywhere. But immediate success for him, that bodes well moving forward and to improve the headspace that he's been dealing with. Um, if you have Taylor Hall clicking, then it means Boston is in a better position and they look very much like a team that could win that East Division. Not in the you know the regular season standings because Washington seems to be uh, you know out in front and in control and not ready to let up. Uh, but Boston's going to be a nightmare for whoever they play in the postseason, that's for sure. I agree. And to just to add to your point about, about Taylor Hall here, the fact that he's going to be on a second line and not on that first line, and there's a lot less pressure on him in the situation that he's in, for him to be able to kind of start off this way, you're right. It, it does kind of lift a lot of weight off of his shoulders to start. Can you imagine that? Like a Hart Trophy winner. I mean, say what you want about Taylor Hall. Say what you want about players who've won the Hart Trophy. This guy won a Hart Trophy a few years ago. He is a goal scorer. He can produce in those moments. And the Boston Bruins were just so – it was just easy for them to just kind of add him to their team. Yes, maybe the fact that the new movement clause that he had kind of made it a little easier for the Boston Bruins to kind of be there. It made it a little difficult for the Buffalo Sabres to kind of trade him anywhere else if they really wanted to. But I don't know, man. That's just – the Boston Bruins, I don't know how far they're going in the playoffs, man, but Taylor Hall can finally put himself in a position where he could foresee a lengthy playoff run that can go more than like five, six games. This is a good Boston Bruins team. I mean, even if they go up against a tough Islander squad, this is a series, if it kind of ends that way, 
it could go seven games. He could be a key contributor for this team. Again, he's not in a position where he has to be the guy. He's wanted to not necessarily be that focal point anyway. So I, I just think for Taylor Hall and, and, the, and, the, and the Boston Bruins, it's just, again, off a of small sample size. It's looking like a pretty good fit. And, I mean, the Buffalo Sabres, it's blowing up in their face. But imagine some of the other teams who maybe looked at Taylor Hall's file and maybe just thought, like, man, like, you know what? I don't think I don't think we should have gone for this guy at all. Maybe they might have not buyer's remorse. I don't know what the opposite term would be if you don't end up buying something. And you, I guess it could still count as buyer's remorse. We'll just say buyer's remorse Let's for this particular I, th- I think I think they get your point. That's enough here. You know, I, I, I think, and again, fine, small sample size here, but how do you let a guy like that, who you know can put up points in a top six role, just kind of go off to the Boston Bruins of all teams? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. I would have picked up the phone on him if I was a GM. And I think a lot of teams, especially in that Eastern uh, division, are, I don't know, man. That's just, I don't know how you let that guy just go for basically peanuts on the dollar. We're in an era now where, where, where Nick Felino was able to get like a first and a third and mm-hmm. a few other pieces, but like Taylor Hall was worth a second in Anders Bjork. So it's working in the immediate term. We're confident it's going to work out in the short term. Does this work out in the long term for Boston too? I mean, if you're Taylor Hall, you've played for bad organization after bad organization after bad organization. And now you've got the taste of what it means to be, or what it's like to be on a great team, on a team that is well-run, oiled unbelievably well. Are you going to be are you going to be looking to leave for that extra 500,000, that extra $750,000 if, you know, Boston is involved in long-term contract negotiations? I don't think so. I don't I, see I think it. I I don't think uh someone who chose 8 million dollars and the possibility of getting moved over for this season um is going to make that mistake again. So, this could be one of the unbelievable uh, moves for the Boston Bruins, if they can have him make a difference this year and then convince him on the culture, the atmosphere, and all that and have him stay around at a reasonable number when players, I believe, David Krejci, Tuka Rask, those guys coming off the books, a little bit of money to spend, and a guy who probably is not going to miss the forest for the trees here in this in this offseason. Uh, I just think this is another you know stroke of brilliance here for the Boston Bruins. Uh, in a contrasting situation, Montreal Canadiens seem to be buckling under the pressure a little bit. Boston made one move, and it looks like it's going to be a great move. The Habs have made a ton of moves, and it seems like now they are just throwing... They're just throwing acquisitions at a very real problem. Like, whoever they could have gotten over the last six months, yeah, we're going to fix it with this, we're going to fix it with this, we're going to fix it with this. And that's normally how it's done. You want to see aggressiveness, and you want a team and a general manager to identify these holes and try and go after it. But now, in hindsight, it all seems a little bit haphazard. Like, it just seems like, okay, we went out and got this guy, this, but nothing actually fits. And since Brendan Gallagher was removed for the lineup with his injury... I mean, you look at the lineup, it's like, wow, there's talent on every line and pairing and the goaltenders are, are solid. Like, wh- what is actually, what's going on? It, and you can't really, you can't, the story isn't isn't being told by the depth chart because you look at this team's on-ice performance and most recently an ugly loss to the Ottawa Senators on a matinee game on Saturday, now four and six in their last 10. It looks like a team that's ready to cough up the playoff spot that seemed all but guaranteed to them. If there was any competition behind them, it seems certain that they would not make the playoffs. 
So where do you grade out this Canadians team, the team that's playing in your backyard right now, Julian, at this point with, you know, a handful of games remaining? Like, this is... This team has been wildly inconsistent for the better part of, like, two months. So I don't know how to grade this team. I mean, you mentioned the fact that they're, they're, they've got only got four wins in their last ten. You know who, who one of those teams they defeated in the last week were? The Toronto Maple Leafs. They beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, a team that we've pretty much considered as the class of the North Division. And then they followed it up with, with their performances against Calgary and, and Ottawa. And I know a lot of people have been – uh, are willing to be like, hey, well, you know, the Canadians played the Flames on Friday, and then they had to move over to to, to, to Ottawa to play a matinee game. It's like two games in quick succession playing in the middle of the day. Like, I'm sorry, but if you're the Montreal Canadiens, and you're especially if you're a fan of that team, and you're looking at those two particular teams behind you in the standings, I, I think fans have every right to be frustrated. And I'm, I'm sure Mark Bergerman probably feels that way too. This is a team that he invested in heavily in in the offseason with the moves that he made and with the coaching changes that he did with Claude Julien, uh, just getting rid of Stefan Wait, the goaltending coach as well, you could tell Mark Bergevin was in a situation where he's like, you know what, this has to work. This has to work. He's making moves to to make something stick, and, and, and he's feeling that pressure. The one thing that has to be frustrating as well is you add players – up at forward, the Josh Andersons of the world, Tyler Toffoli, who, who's hit the 20-goal plateau. And after all that, Brendan Gallagher, you're, you're like, they, like, they really miss Brendan Gallagher. The fact that it, it all falls just, apart with, with yeah. Brendan Gallagher coming up. That's what it seems like. You tell, look, you, you explain it to me like this, because I've been thinking about it for the last few days, and I, and I put a tweet out about this. Is this not a flaw? For the Montreal Canadiens, do you, if you go out and and you make investments to your forward core and you get guys who can play on the wing and in the hopes of establishing depth, because Mark Bergevin has made it clear he's 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 all about getting depth guys. Whether it's you know you, you have your guys up at forward, you have your guys up at defense. A guy like Brendan Gallagher, who yes, he is seen as the heart and soul of this team. He fights because of the fact that you know he's a little like smaller guy than some of the other guys in the league, but he'll go to the net. He'll go to dirty areas. He'll do everything you need him to do. But I don't think Brendan Gallagher should be seen as, as the reason as the raison d'etre for, for this Canadian team to actually perform well. Like the fact that he's plucked out of the lineup and you mentioned there's talent on almost every line on this team and they still can't produce, right? It, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Jake Allen has been busting his butt for a good chunk of the year there's like four other goaltenders who've had worse run support in front of him. Gary Price was playing his first game in how many days uh, on, on Saturday, let in the three goals, then the empty net near the end. It was well-rested, three goals and 14 shots. But like, geez, the Canadians were just not able to score. I think it's a, I think the fact that the Canadians are so reliant on Brendan Gallagher, even if they made all of those acquisitions at forward, it's flawed, and you have to be frustrated if you're the Montreal Canadiens. You you invested in this team as much as you did to ensure that if a guy like Brendan, Brendan Gallagher goes out due to injury, you have other guys who can fill in and do well. And as of late, it hasn't looked that way. It's interesting because the Brendan Gallagher thing, okay, immediate the immediate reaction was, okay, this means Bergevin's even going to be more aggressive here and he's going to go out and shop. And I guess he did shop a little bit, but it was more to replace the depth you lost with Victor Mete getting, you know, walking across uh, to a rival in the Ottawa Senators through the waiver claim. Um, but you mentioned the inconsistencies and, like, 
the inconsistencies didn't arrive when Brendan Gallagher went out. They've right. won 12 of their last 32 games. This is a playoff team that's won 12 of their last 32. I mean, that that is that is dark. Like, that is not a good team. A good team does not win 12 of 32. It's certainly one that expects to contend when it matters most. And again, it doesn't make too much sense when you look at the lineup. But the, you know, throwing acquisitions at the problems looks like it might happen again here because Cole Caulfield is up from, you know, he signed his contract. He's playing for Laval. Like, is he going to be the latest acquisition or ad or new body that's going to come in and be thrown out a problem here? And is it going to do anything for this team if Cole Caulfield does, in fact, get in the lineup and, and play a role this year? I just think if you put Cole in that position, that's just so much pressure to put on this kid. Not to mention the team has said uh, that I think it would take an injury because of the salary cap issues that are there. Uh, it would take an injury for for either him or, or even a Jake Evans, who's actually played more games this year, obviously, uh, to, for him to get inserted into the lineup. I don't know if the Canadians do it. I think the fact that they have him there, uh, for added context here, uh, the, Laval, the Laval Rocket are not scheduled to play again until the end of the month. They're, they're actually on a layoff. So I think this is just kind of like a nice thing for for Caulfield to be able to kind of be around the big team, see what it's like to live the everyday life as an NHLer. But I just think considering the pressure that's on this team right now and the fact that as more and more and more games go on, they find themselves in a bit of a, of a race where the flames are catching up on them. I'm not sure if inserting him into the lineup is necessarily the, the best thing I would, I would imagine you want to put him in a situation where there's little to no pressure but the Canadians and the Flames are going to play each other like three times uh, over the next few days. It's it's gonna it's a bit of an intense time for the Montreal Canadiens. Not to mention the fact that they just have not been playing all that well. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not necessarily in agreement. It just in my humble opinion about just throwing Cole Caulfield at the problem. I think he still needs a few more pro games under his belt, and the American Hockey League is the best possible place for him to be able to learn. But to kind of just throw him into the NHL, you're kind of throwing him to the wolves. And you could think of other players in the Montreal Canadiens organization who have come through who have been in similar situations. Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who probably could have used more seasoning in the AHL, maybe in Finland, now playing regular NHL minutes. You could argue that he's been in a, he could have been in a situation where he could have used a bit more time. Victor Mete, was, who's now in Ottawa now. That's another guy who probably could have used a bit more time before he was called up to the big club instead of being thrown onto a defensive pairing with Shea Weber. I think if you put Cole Caulfield into the lineup right away, I mean, hey, Ryan Paling's another example. He had probably one of the greatest debuts you could ever have as a Montreal Canadian, and everyone penciled him in as a number four center for next season, including himself, and was very disappointed when he realized, whoops, that's not going to be the case. Now he's back in Laval, and now he has to kind of go through it again and, and, and eventually put himself in a point where he can be an everyday NHLer. But I think if they put Cole Caulfield in the lineup, while it wouldn't surprise me considering how desperate they've been all year, it would just be a potential repeat of, of mistakes they've done in the past. So I don't see any reason for the Canadians to rush him at all. Just take your time. We know he's a good player, but the Canadians don't need to rush him. Well, you know what they say about desperate times, uh, and we're definitely approaching that for the uh, the Montreal Canadiens. They do have two games versus the Oilers, which um, 
I'm actually not sure if the if they've how they've fared against the Oilers this year. Has it been? Has that been one of the more positive matchups? That's been one of the actually. Believe it or not, uh, we we've raved about Connor McDavid and Leon Drysidle for a good chunk of the year. The Montreal Canadiens have pretty much shut them down to this point of the year, which is which again speaks to how wildly inconsistent this team has been. The Montreal Canadiens have struggled and labored against the Calgary Flames and the Ottawa Senators who are behind them in the standings. Montreal Canadiens, again, in the last few days, have a victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs. And when they've played Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, they have shut them down. In fact... This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Off the top of my head, I don't think either of those players have scored against the Montreal Canadiens this Mm -hmm. year. Neither of them have scored. Almost every time they play against those two players, for whatever reason, they're both struggling to hit the back of the net against the Montreal Canadiens. I think even the last time they played against the Oilers, that was when McDavid was just so frustrated, he he shoved a forearm into Jesperi Kakanemi's face. Right, right, yeah. The, the Canadiens, for whatever reason, have found a way to frustrate Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. They can say they've gotten wins over the Toronto Maple Leafs at different points in the year. Hey, they even found a way to get wins off the Winnipeg Jets, too. But the Calgary Flames and the Ottawa Senators, for whatever reason, nothing. Just just absolute frustration. It's it's ridiculous. So, I mean, potentially that's a good thing. Maybe Montreal matches up well against Edmonton. Maybe they can get three or p- perhaps four points uh, before they go into a three-game set with Montreal. Just, just based on the matchups or back to the matchups for one second, I am noticing something with the Canadian division. With mm-hmm. Winnipeg maybe not being a great matchup for the Maple Leafs. Like, they could give them fits. Uh, but then Edmonton being dominant against Winnipeg so far. And then Montreal being, you know, faring pretty well against Edmonton so far. So it seems like the rung below seems to be a little bit of a problem for each. And how that all shakes down, well, I guess if if the playoffs started right now, it would be Edmonton and Winnipeg. So maybe Edmonton does get the better and the Leafs, the Leafs avoid potentially Winnipeg in the, in the second round. I don't know how it's all going to go. But it is interesting how the matchups seem to be uh, shaping up and how uh, different teams fare against each other. But again, what matters for Montreal right now is three games against the Calgary Flames coming up. Uh, I believe it's over a three days or a four day span, three games beginning April 23rd. Uh, that might decide who goes into the playoffs as the number four seed in the North Division when we do indeed get there. Um, speaking of getting there, Patrick Marlowe has finally got there. Wow. He's Going to surpass Gordie Howe in terms of the NHL record uh, for games played. He played in his 
1,767th game on Saturday in a loss to the Wild. He can break the record set by Howe, who played across four decades, which is crazy. Uh, Monday night in Vegas. Good place to celebrate. Uh, what do you make of Patrick Marlowe's career just in a general sense? I'll just open the floor because it's time to talk about Patrick Marlowe given where he's at in his career. I think that is one of the cooler records you could ever have for yourself. And I always thought of Patrick Marlowe as a really good forward, really solid player to have on any team in San Jose can speak the praises of Patrick Marlowe and what he's done for their franchise. I just think it's cool that like he's spent all this time in the NHL and he's 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 played with like what like 37% of of the league's players throughout their history like that's nuts like that's insane like it, like let's put it this way like when you tell the history of the National Hockey League it's impossible to tell it without Patrick Marlowe and he you could say he's he's I mean fine he does not have a Stanley Cup to his name and that's probably the biggest shame with with Patrick Marlowe but a lot of guys throughout the NHL can at least speak to how good of a teammate he was. And especially in his later years when he was in Toronto and how he, how some of the younger players kind of adapted to him. Like he's, he's a really solid player. He's a great player. Uh, and I think the fact that he has that record is just, I think it's really impressive to me. The fact that you're able to play all those many games speaks to the clean bill of mostly clean bill of health. You've had through much of your career and the longevity you're able to have. That's not easy. It's not easy to even to play a thousand games in the National Hockey League, much less the amount of games he was able to play uh, through, what, three teams? So San Jose, Pittsburgh, and Toronto? Like, this is yeah. incredible. I think it's one of the cooler records. Yeah. Yes, for sure. But I think it's one of the coolest records for, for, for any NHL player to have. And, I mean, it's not just anybody who held that record previously. We're talking about Mr. Hockey, right? So I mm-hmm. think that's one of the cooler records to have. Yeah, it's an amazing accomplishment. I mean, this guy is literally – been in the NHL for our entire conscious lives, you and I. I mean, you were probably in diapers when he first made it uh, onto yes. the scene. And it feels like guys like Alexander Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby have been around forever, but this guy is almost a decade on both of them. Like a decade <laughs> more than guys who have been, you know, staples. Again, I said conscious lives. I, I don't remember a time when Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby were in the NHL. Like, it's been that long uh, for the, for those two guys. Um uh, this is this is going to sh- show my cynicism, though, because I laughed this morning a little bit when I saw the headline, Marlowe ties record in Sharks loss, because I think that tells the story of his of the late portion of his career, honestly. Like, he's doing something incredible, but it's not contributing to anything bigger than that. Like, if the Sharks were a great team right now, I don't think he'd be playing. And then he'd be looking for a spot to play. And I don't know if anyone would have given that opportunity. I mean, apparently he's shopped at the deadline, but no one wanted to take the flyer on him. And I mean, everyone gets to that point in their career, or most players get to that point in their career, unless you're, um, you know, the rare few that can go out on top or go out, you know, without any regrets. Um, But it seems like his chase for this has been more important than winning a Stanley Cup to him, at least in the last few years. And it, 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 I, I find the situation a little bit strange. And I don't know what how he'll actually be looked back on when all is said and done. Like, I don't know what's going to happen this summer. I don't know what's going to happen in terms of his legacy. But you can't take away the fact that he's played more games than anyone else. And that is obviously a major, major accomplishment. And, and I shouldn't take away from that. Um, 
but I just don't know where this stands. Like when he's done, when he breathes that sigh of relief, when he finally accomplishes his goal Monday night, what's next? Um, will the Sharks have any reason to take him back next year? Would anybody else be interested? I don't know what it means for next season. And I don't know what this record means in terms of the Hall of Fame. Is Patrick Marlowe a Hall of Famer? For me, no. I don't think Patrick Marlowe is a Hall of Famer. I think this probably gives him a chance to have a plaque or a little space carved out where his his jersey from his 768 or 1768th game lives there forever, sure. But I think the conversation is naturally going to shift now to whether he's a Hall of Famer. And I say no because I don't think he's ever been in the conversation as one of the best players in the world. Like in his time, he's, you know, been one of the handful of be- best players in the NHL but not, you know, challenging for major awards. His highest point total was 86 in a year, I think it was 2005, 2006, where seven players hit 100 points. Joe Thornton at 125 points. So he was getting a lot of that. So uh, uh, this has made me reflect on his career a little bit. And I, and I want to give him, you know, we want to give him all the credit in the world for this record. But in terms of like where he's at in his career and where we'll think about him in the future, um, I, I, I just... I don't know. There's just something that seems to be missing for me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can understand where you're coming from with that. I'll say this about the record. If you're in a position like Patrick Marlowe, where you're on a team that is not really going to go far and you're not really in a position where a cup contending team might necessarily be willing to take you on. I mean, what else are you going to shoot for? Right. If you're, That's a good if you're point. within a striking good point. distance of a record like this, Hell yeah, you go for it. So, I mean, I don't blame a guy like Patrick Marlowe for, for thinking about a record like this and be like, hey, you know what? Like, let's let's go for it. Let's see if we can get it. Um, I, I do have to agree with you with the fact that I'm not sure about what this means for his Hall of Fame candidacy. Uh, I, you're right in the fact that it does, that if you look back on his career, you can say at different points, like, yeah, you know, he's been a part of the handful of really good players. But has Patrick Marlowe ever been like a top 10 player in the national hockey league not for me not for me no I, a top 15 has he ever been top 15 in maybe. the league maybe but like not top 10 and i think like you know and maybe it's different for certain guys but i think that's one thing that's going to hurt him i unfortunately do not have hockey reference in front of me i can't even name any individual accolade that he's had in his career never won a heart trophy uh, i don't think he has an art ross to his name like he doesn't have any of those significant individual trophies. And I think if you want to give yourself a chance at the hall of fame, like you, you have to be able to, to have that. I think for him, he can always, you can always say Patrick Marlowe was a solid and, and, and a good player in his, in his heyday. And you can look back on some of those really great San Jose Sharks teams were fine. They didn't make it to the end or they find they, they got dispatched at some point in the playoffs, but he was a part of some really good San Jose Sharks teams. And yeah. some of them were pretty fun to watch. So I guess for, for you and I, if we look back on his career in the 2000s or whatever, we'd be like, yeah, he was, a, he was a really good player. But, I mean, if he's not a Hall of Famer, it's not the end of the world. I guess, yeah, it's, right? it's okay to not be a Hall of Famer. Like, yeah, it's, not, it's, like not, it's not a big deal. That's it. Uh, well, I mean, look, it, it's a big deal. but It's a big Patrick, deal, but it's, it's not like yeah, – it shouldn't like it's, be it's, like – I don't know. I, I I don't think anyone's like waiting on this to happen for him to become, you know, whether or not he's a Hall of Famer, like immediately triggers Hall of Fame uh, status. 
when he plays yeah. in this game on Monday night. Um, and I think the debate is definitely there, but I, I just feel like he was never, he was never a truly great player and never stood out amongst the crowd. And I don't think longevity should just immediately give you the opportunity to stand out in anything other than longevity. I agree, but let's at least end it with this. The fact that he's able to achieve this record is amazing and incredible. Yeah. And, you know, he could always say he has that. He can always say that he was a part of some really great teams. He played in the Olympics. Did he get an Olympics in? He got in there. Oh, Come yeah. on. Like, yeah. Like, he, he, he at least can say he has that to his tally as well. Like, come on. Like, he won. You know? Like, he can look back at his career and say, you know what? I had a damn good career. Maybe it didn't end with a Stanley Cup. It might not end with a Hall of Fame uh, berth for him. But he can say he won an Olympic gold medal. He can say that he played all of these games. He's played with some really great teammates. Patrick Marlowe can look back on his career and know that he wasn't a scrub. I mean, look, there are guys who have played in the NHL who are scrubs. I'm sorry to say it. There are guys who are scrubs. <laughs> but there are guys in the, in the history of the NHL, maybe they weren't good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe the Hall of Very Good is, is their ceiling. But Patrick Marlowe can say he was a good, he was a damn good player in the NHL. And nobody... Yep has played more games than him. That's something you could keep for the rest of his life. That's that's fine. Well, good news for Marlowe if he's looking to extend on that record that, again, he will have on Monday night, is that there's 23 roster spots opening in the NHL next year with Seattle coming in. So maybe the fact that he seems like he's only probably in the league because of this record, if we're being honest right now, uh, maybe that uh, he gets a little bit more life based on the fact that uh, there are more jobs next year. Um, okay, let's move on. Uh, just a little bit of news from what was, again, other than the trade deadline, not a very newsy week. Um, but the possibility with the situation here in Canada worsening in terms of COVID-19, uh, we've had the Toronto Maple Leafs deal with COVID-19 scares. Obviously, we know what's going on with Vancouver. Montreal has dealt with it. Like it, it the walls closing in, the inevitability of all this, as we've talked about before, it seems to be headed there and vaccines are not going to be put in place in time for this, for, you know, everything to, um, for, for, for us as a society here in Canada to stem the tide here. Uh, it seems like we're going to have to go down into some pretty drastic measures in order to stop the spread. And where does the NHL fit into drastic measures? Well, right now they're just being able to continue on playing, but it's possible. Um, that the NHL or the Canadian government or a combination of both decides that uh, playoff hockey is just not going to happen north of the border when it was the um, it was the vehicle last summer. It might not be an opportunity this summer uh, with Elliot Friedman reporting on Saturday night that it's possible that, well, the preference still is to go city to city for the playoffs, but it's possible that the all Canadian teams just go to a city in the United States, play the play inside a bubble in the United States and then once one team is remaining, that team goes city to city, city to back to whether it's Buffalo or whatever, um, when the playoffs continue with just one Canadian team. Um, just on the surface, it's a bummer, right? Like it, there's going to be one Canadian market that's going to go three rounds in the postseason. And when a Canadian market goes three rounds in the postseason, there is so much excitement across the country, but certainly in that city following that team and I know we're not going to get fans in the stands I know we're not going to get fans in the streets 
I don't know if there's a possibility for a parade, but that's probably not going to happen just because of the situation we're in. But that really takes even just the hockey games happening in the city. Even if there's no fans there, even if there's no fans outside, it's still a different buzz, I think. Or it will be a different buzz. I guess we don't have precedent here. But this is certainly a bad news for Canadian hockey fans who are uh, having, you know, what is going to be an exciting playoff run for someone uh, sort of diminished in a way. Likely. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah it's just... It's a bit of a tough situation, but of course, it's it's the price you pay. It's funny, it's interesting to say price to pay, but if you're playing professional sports in a pandemic, these are the things you have to consider. And another thing, another thing you brought up with with all those teams who, if a team were to go three rounds, it's fans in the streets, fans in the stands, revenues for those teams as well. Remember, those teams are not really going to be recouping too much uh, over the next few months, even if they do go long in the playoffs. I, I, I guess a bubble for them, I can understand why it makes sense. Uh, it's just that these teams are just not going to have any type of home advantage for as long as they're going to be in the playoffs. If they find a way to win the Stanley Cup and do it without with, a, with pretty much a lack of a home advantage, that would make it really impressive on their part. But Imagine like a Toronto or a Winnipeg going to like round three and going from city to city after being in that bubble, man, like that's just, it is a bit of a bummer. I agree with you there. It, it just kind of sucks to see, but it's just necessary. It's something that just kind of has to happen because there's no way for it to make it work uh, and have teams kind of go in and out of, of Canada. If it gets to a point where they're playing round three between like Winnipeg and, and another East division team, like it's just not going to, it's it, it doesn't make sense. It's not at a position where it could work. And I mean, you could sit all you want. You can talk all you want about how the Canadian government has fumbled a few things. And a lot of people across the country have been frustrated uh, with their respective governments, but it's just what it is right now. It's just a tough situation. And it's just, it's just one of the things you, that these teams are just going to have to live with. Unfortunately, it sucks though. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point. I mean, I, I focus mainly on the fans and how it's going to be a different experience north of the border, uh, not being able to, you know, watch, cover, witness the, the game going on in your own backyard. Um, but it leaves the Canadian teams at a serious disadvantage. I think like no matter what you try to simulate, if you're in an empty arena in Buffalo where you have no ties to, and you have no familiarity with when you go to say Colorado and there's 10,000 fans in the stands and you come back to an empty barn that gives off no advantage whatsoever. And the other team actually might have more familiarity with because at least they've been in that visitor dressing room before. Like it, yeah. it doesn't give, it doesn't give them any advantage or, or, or it just puts them at a serious disadvantage. Uh, you would think. Um, but I, I think we knew the possibility of this cross border travel was never going to happen. So I think that's probably why it's a good idea. And the the most the most positive thing I think you can take from this is the fact that when those four Canadian teams go over the border, maybe they get vaccinated right away. Maybe they're maybe. in a position in the United States by that point. I mean, they they seem to be flying through it at a rate we are just not even um, we we can't even imagine right now. Light speed. But maybe when they get there, the NHL is in a position at by that point to have purchased vaccines. And they can line up, get it done, and operate in a in a far safer space. And if that is in fact an option, then you can't say no to it, despite the the disadvantages or the inconveniences. That is safety, overcoming everything else or having precedence over everything else. And if the Canadian teams 
by the by the time that they get to the playoffs, you can ensure their safety or 98% ensure their safety or whatever it is. Um, I, th- I think that's an option you can't turn down. Yeah, I agree. I just <sighs> imagine that this year of all years, the league has found a way to ensure that at least one team is going to be within a series of making the Stanley Cup. This and 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 we like to bring up how every year since 1993, you know, Canadian team has found a way to win Lord Stanley's mug, and we are still in a pandemic, or whatever funny word you want to use for pandemic, I guess. And it's a good chance Toronto might be that team this year. I know there are a lot of people in Toronto who are really excited about this squad. I still say, don't sleep on the Winnipeg Jets. And how amazing would it be if the Edmonton Oilers found a way to get through? We talked about the Montreal Canadiens early on in this podcast. If they found a way to just change everything and go on a complete 360 into the playoffs and they find themselves in a conference final, that would be an insane storyline. And their fans are likely going to have to just watch from home and they can't be in an arena. And yeah, not even in an arena like imagine if like t- like fans start clamoring their respective teams to be like, hey, just like let us into the building to kind of watch on the jumbotron. Like I don't even know if teams are going to be able to to do that. Like that's going to be a bit of a bummer for them. It's a, it's a bit of a disappointment. But again, to bring up to my to my original point, like this is just the price you kind of have to pay to kind of make things work in a pandemic. And and I'm not opposed to the bubble. It's just. I think for fans, I, I kind of feel for them here. It's, it's a bit of a bummer and a disappointment for for a lot of people who enjoy the game in this country and want to see their teams do well. You can't help but not feel for the fans here. Yeah, and what would be fair um, would be a bubble. If the, if the Canadian teams have to cross the border and play in a bubble, then the Final Four is bubbled as well. But yeah, you mentioned I agree. It. You mentioned it. There's going to be fans, more and more fans are going to be in seats in the United States as we go further along here. When we get to the playoffs, owners are going to be even more incentivized to want to push to have more fans getting through those doors. And it's going to happen. And it should happen because if you're at the point where you can do that, which some municipalities can, because they're doing a very good job vaccinating their their citizens, then there's no reason not to. And the NHL is not going to turn down revenue opportunities and pay to have a bubble erected somewhere in the United mm-hmm. States. Like, it's just not going to happen. So Canadian teams are going to be at a disadvantage. The Canadian team that gets through is going to be at a disadvantage. Uh, but that's just the price of doing business in a pandemic and the differences between two countries operating in a, in a completely different space right now. Okay, we teased it off the top. Our RTR, our reason to return... It's our weekly segment now on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. It's going to be called the tire pump because, you know, you and I have fallen into the trap where we've been just, you know, trading compliments before. So instead of doing that and having our producers just shudder or shudder in disgust at the amount of uh, compliments that are going back and forth, we are instead going to compliment people in the NHL world or the hockey world at large. So the tire pump is just who we want to acknowledge this week. And Julian, inflate your first tire. (laughs) Shout out to the producers of our show who uh, seem to shudder at the fact that, uh, you know, two co-hosts can't just shower each other with praise. Like, come on, guys. Um, I thought about this uh, and I realized with uh, the... A company that I work for, it is very easy for me to praise some of my coworkers. And I promise going forward, 
I will not make it a habit every week I am on the Yahoo Sports okay. podcast. Okay. However, for this inaugural edition, I would like to pump the tires of two of my coworkers, if that is okay with you. Uh, yeah, the first one, the first one is Thomas Drance, uh, who has been all over the Vancouver Canucks and has been all over uh, the COVID situation regarding this franchise over the last few weeks. And I think he has been doing some incredible work and really riveting stuff uh, that you should read uh, on The Athletic, obviously. The second person I'd like to uh, praise is Ryan S. Clark, who wrote a story on uh, this girl named Leighton Accardo, who mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately back in November uh, lost a battle with cancer. However, uh, the Arizona Coyotes franchise, uh, she was a big fan of the franchise and they were so enamored with her, uh, they inducted her into their ring of honor over the weekend. Ryan uh, wrote a story about Leighton and her ties to the Arizona Coyotes franchise just before the weekend. And it's a very moving and sad story uh, that I, I also encourage you to read. So my tire pumps for this week, again, I promise I will not make it a habit to solely praise my athletic contributor, my athletic uh, coworkers, but I felt that Thomas Drance and Ryan S. Clark were two guys deserving of some praise uh, for this inaugural segment, inaugural Deser- edition of this segment. Deserve praise for Drancer and Ryan. Uh, I'm going to let it slide. Uh, I only gave you one tire to pump and you, you took the two. So a couple rules broken with media members and multiple media members chosen. But again, hey, see, you the got, tire you pump. Gotta you know, man. You got a tire man. pump. Like I, Give me an inch. I take a mile. Sorry. Exactly. And, and unfortunately, <laughs> you can take it in any direction you want at any time. Uh, so it's, it's all fair when choosing which tire to pump. Um, okay. But for me, I'm staying in the Vancouver market, but I'm going to go with Vancouver Canucks head coach, Travis Green. Um, as brilliant as Drance has been, I thought Travis Green's performance at his press conference uh, superseded it a little bit. Um, I, I just thought he was... I just thought it was really poignant. I thought he would, he did a perfect job of sort of uh, illustrating exactly how the Canucks are feeling, how he's feeling, what he went through, what the situation is at large in Vancouver. Uh, I think he showed the serious of the virus. He showed the effects, the effects of the virus just like physically. He looked like he'd been through war. Uh, he seemingly still felt ill when he was talking to the media. He provided a, a worthy public mes- message saying simply that you don't want to get this. And I think that's a reminder that everybody should be uh, at least given. And from a coaching perspective, he supported his players at this immense paternal level, like comparing them to his children, uh, saying that it like pained him to not be in a position to make them feel better because he just wasn't in that position. And then I also like that he put his foot in the ground saying, the Canucks aren't coming back to fill out someone else's revenue. The Canucks are coming back to win hockey games. Uh, And for me, watching Travis Green's press conference, I had no doubt who the coach of the Vancouver Canucks should be moving forward. I think Travis Green uh, should earn plaudits for his performance in front of the media, for what he said. Uh, He just looked like the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks right now and moving forward. And I think he deserves my inaugural tire pump just for that reason. Yeah, I think that is a very excellent person who is deserving of of such a tire pump. I really like this segment. This is really, this is genius. This is well done on yes. your part. I mean, it, look it's what it's done. 
You'd think I wouldn't need to be prompted, but shout out to one of my old producers, Sarah Jenkins, for saying, hey, you should probably put a little structure into the show because, you know, it's good for <laughs> it's good for shareable content, which is true. And it avoids, you know, you and I rambling back and forth. But I, I think uh, I think, you know, every radio program seems to have like multiple iterations of this where you're just choosing one side or, uh, you know, giving an opportunity to speak on one subject. Uh, and why wouldn't we add that to our portfolio? The tire pump. Yeah, it's brilliant. By the way, uh, I should give you a shout out as well for being able to handle uh, that one episode of the podcast just on your own, breaking down the trade deadline. I was listening and I was like, wow, man, like this is this is really riveting stuff. This kind of served as like a radio audition, you know, some uh, if any opportunities like that ever came up. It did, not that you would ever want to, you know. Uh, I, I remind you, Julian, you had uh, one tire to pump and now you're trying to go for a third and I'm going to shut yeah, you I'm down. Yeah, I'm wilding, I'm wilding, I'm wilding, I'm wilding. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right now. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. But, you know, we're, we're going to be back again next Sunday. Uh, we're going to be trying to figure out what exactly we're going to do for the playoffs. I shouldn't probably tease it right now. But you might hear me solo. You might hear us more than once. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but we're going to try to give more full coverage, at least, to the Stanley Cup playoffs when we get there on the Yahoo Sports podcast. But for now, we'll leave it at that with what little topics we have for now and moving forward. And then we'll be back to the weekly cadence of having an interview subject on. And I will reserve who I'm having on this week. Um, But, you know, we're adding to this show here, the tire pump, the solo editions, and we'll see what happens in the playoffs. But for now, we'll leave you. And Julian, you can can bid farewell to the listeners uh, to end this podcast. Peace. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.